Our text this morning is taken from the book of Galatians. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 4. Uh, you can find that text, uh, Galatians 4 verse 12, printed in your bulletins. I want you to imagine for a moment a doctor uh, walking into the examining room screaming, Sick people, sick people. All I ever see is sick people. Why don't any healthy people ever come to visit me? Now, you might think if you heard a doctor say that, well, I think they need a vacation. They need, I think they need a, a few days off. What were they really expecting here? But you might say, oh, I could relate to that. I could see how that would be a, a burden after a while. Uh, doctor's offices are filled with sick people. That's what they see all day. Doctor's offices aren't the only places that are filled with sick people, though. Uh, the church itself is filled uh, with sick people, with those who are spiritually unhealthy. Um, and, you know, we're, we're aware of that. We're painfully aware of that at times, aren't we? We're painfully aware of the sickness, uh, the spiritual disease that we all struggle with. We like to forget about it even. And sometimes we're not painfully aware of our own uh, sin. We're, we're painfully aware of other people's sin. We're very cognizant of it. Uh, we're aware of it not just in our churches, but in our homes and our families. And we find ourselves going, what's wrong with all these people? Uh, and, and we're perplexed by what we see around us. Uh, in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul is perplexed. We're going to read today by the Galatians. Uh, the, these churches that he has planted, uh, he proclaimed the gospel to them and said, look, the way that you're made right with God is not by doing anything, but it's through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then after Paul left, false teachers came in and they said, the way that you're made right with God is through faith in Jesus plus doing the works of the law. And so they're, they're drifting away from simple, simple faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, and you can, almost, you, know, you can almost feel Paul in Galatians. It's like he's grabbing them and shaking them and saying, Guys, you're drifting away from the gospel. You're drifting back into slavery. You're drifting away from freedom. Uh, he pleads passionately to them to return to Christ. He's ministering to sick people. And so what I want us to do today, we're going to read this, and then we're going to talk about just a few principles of what ministry to sick people looks like. All right, so Galatians chapter 4 Beginning in verse 12, this is God's word. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Right, let's pray, and then we'll talk about God's Word. Father, this is your Word. This is not uh, our Word. This is not simply a man's Word, but it is your very Word. Uh, and I, I pray now that you would help us to understand it, 
uh, and, and to believe it, and that you would even change the way we think about life and ministry as a result uh, of being exposed to your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, <clears throat> note-taking people, you got a lot of room to take notes in the bulletin. Uh, some weeks that works out, sometimes it doesn't. It's all a spacing thing. Um, but but here's, your, here's your points for today. Connection, proclamation, correction, destination, providence. You got all that? Not, I'll say it again in a minute. Um, but you just get the first one right now. Connection. What, is, what does ministry of sick people look like? First of all, there's got to be a connection. Uh, as you read this letter, you know, you don't get the sense that Paul's just writing an internet blog uh, railing on people he's angry with that he's never met. All right? Oh, I heard about this stuff, and I'm just ticked off at you. Now, Paul's got an intimate connection with the Galatians. There's a deep connection there. Now, we're told here that Paul stopped in Galatia because of some sort of bodily ailment. We don't know exactly what the bodily ailment was, but we do know that many of the Greeks saw diseases and sickness and deformity uh, as a sign that the gods weren't pleased with you, or even that you were under demonic attack. And so some people would have seen Paul, and maybe he was disfigured, maybe he was just really sick from his travels, we don't know. But they would have seen him and been like, I don't want anything to do with you. Um, I, you know, I don't know what's going on there, but I've got my own life to tend to. I don't have time to fool this sick person. But yet that's not what happened. The Galatians actually embraced Paul. They took him in. It would have been a burden to care for him, but they took him in, and Paul says they received him as if he were an angel or as if he were Jesus Christ himself. They embraced Paul. Uh, he says they would have gouged out their eyes for him if they thought that would have helped him. So you see, there's this, this deep connection that existed between Paul and the Galatians. And so then Paul says here, what happened to that? What happened to that? Have you, have you forgotten the connection we had? Have you forgotten how you cared for me? Have you forgotten how I loved you and, and proclaimed the message of God's grace to you? What happened? Uh, and... 2008, the, the Boston Celtics were, were marching to their first um, championship in many years. Now, you'll have to forgive the sports illustrations. I'm, I'm trying to read Jane and Air right now. It's just not going very well. But, um, but I am, I'm working on it. But anyway, um, during that season, whenever the Celtics would break the huddle, instead of saying, you know, one, two, three, go Celtics, they would say Ubuntu. Ubuntu. Everybody say it with me. Ubuntu. That was pretty good. I don't know if you do it or not. Um, where, where they got that word is an African word uh, that Archbishop Desmond Tutu used to use. He used to use the word Ubuntu. And this is what he said it means. It means something on the lines of, I am because we are. I am because we are. Then this is how he explained it. A person with Ubuntu is open and available to others, affirming of others does not feel threatened that others are able and good, for he or she has a proper self-assurance that comes from knowing that he or she belongs in a greater whole and is diminished when others are humiliated or diminished. Uh, and so the coach of the Celtics, Doc Rivers, basically have been studying and listening to this guy. He's like, I like this. And he sold this concept to his team, basically that, that we're in this together and you've got to sacrifice for the good of the team. And so that was their rallying uh, cry for the entire season. They won the championship 
everything's wonderful. Fast forward to last year. Uh, one of the, during the stretch one, one of the key players on that team, a guy named Kendrick Perkins, was traded away. And everybody's like, wow, oh, why did this happen? This is wrong. And he was best friends with one of the other guys on the team who was uh, the point guard. He's kind of a moody guy anyway, but he was just, he was just um, demolished by losing his best friend. And, and what he said was, when Kendrick Perkins was traded, he said, what happened to all that Ubuntu stuff? I thought we were in this together. I thought we were a team. Was that just, uh, was that just a marketing pitch, Doc? Did that really mean anything? It only meant something as long as we were winning. Does it not mean anything now? Paul said to the Galatians, what happened to the Ubuntu? What happened to the connection we had? Weren't we in this together? Weren't we on the same page? Weren't you believing the message that I had proclaimed? Well, why is he reminding them of all this? Well, he's reminding them of all this, this connection, because he's really been laying into them. And he's going to lay into them uh, even more. He's offering uh, stinging correction to them. But he wants them to know that he's doing this out of love. Uh, he, he loves the folks in Galatia. And he's not just flying off the handle at them. Now, let me make just one point here, and then we're going to come back to this idea of correction. Uh, well, the point here is that Relationships are the context in which ministry takes place. Relationships are the context in which ministry takes place. God uses people to minister to other people. 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul says, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. See, if you're going to minister to other people, and if you're going to be ministered to the pipeline that God uses to do that is relationships with other people. Now, you and I just can't show up the church and then retreat into our man caves or our woman caves or wherever it is we go. Uh, we need relationships with other people. Uh, we need to confess our sins to other people. We need to pray with other people. Uh, we need other people who can speak into our life from outside of our life, who have a different perspective than we do. A lot of us have a better perspective than we do on what's going on in our life. We need those relationships where people can speak the Word of God into our lives. And some of the people that God has given us to do that are the elders of His church. Now, <clears throat> we don't have, well, we've got elders at Mount Calvary overseeing us. We don't have our own elders yet. We're going to be uh, electing elders as we get to the process of becoming a particular church. But most people don't, most people think of elders kind of as a board of directors. When we think of elders in the Bible, we think board of directors. What elders are actually supposed to be, are they're supposed to be shepherds along with the pastor, shepherding and ministering to God's people. So if that's true, let me ask you this. Think about over your whole church life, um, how often, or, or just, let me put it this way, have you ever picked a church based on whether you think the elders are going to lovingly shepherd you or not? All right, is, that in, is that like in the list, I like the preaching, I like the music, the people were nice, that I want elders to shepherd me? Have you ever thought about that? Uh, and now, I'm going to say probably no. 
now, what does our failure to ask that question say? Maybe we just never, we've never seen it done before, so it's kind of a foreign concept to us. It may be that we don't really want that. We don't really think it's important. Like, ah, whatever, I, that's not what I go to church for. The Bible thinks it's important. Listen to Hebrews chapter 13. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. All right, that, that's probably the most un-American verse in the Bible, isn't it? Um, that, is, that is not something we want to, he- want to hear, but that's important in Scripture. We need connections with other people so that, so that you can minister to them and so that you can be ministered to by them. And one of those connections that we need is connections with the, with the elders, the leadership of the church. Uh, so just kind of as a side note, be, be praying for the men who will serve eventually as the elders of Grace Presbyterian Church. Uh, connection. Number two, proclamation. Proclamation. Paul doesn't just here come to the Galatians and put his arm around them and say, you're great, I affirm you. Um, You're you're a wonderful person, goodbye. Uh, Paul says that he preached the gospel to them. That he proclaimed the message that the only way to be right with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. That we are all uh, sinners, that we are all lost, that we are all in need of a Savior. And Paul proclaimed that message to the Galatians. You may have heard it said at times, um, how does it say, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Have you heard that right? And there's a, there's a lot of truth to that applied correctly, but eventually you, you do have to use words. All right? People do need to see the gospel lived out, but the, drop, the gospel has truth content. It's not just whatever you want it to be. It actually is a message. It is news. The gospel contains truth. It is truth. It's good news about how to be made right with God. And both both believers and, and those who don't believe, we all need to hear this message of the gospel. Uh, so a couple of points here. We're, we're called to proclaim the gospel. That's what Paul does here in the Galatians. But if you have a connection with somebody, if you have a relationship with them, connection, proclamation, how, how much easier it is, how much easier is it to actually speak truth into their lives? Like, you'll know better than somebody who doesn't know them how to helpfully speak the gospel into their life. You won't have to do drive-by evangelism anymore, but you'll know how a person thinks, and, and you'll, you'll learn to know how to apply the scripture to them. You'll know when to speak, and you'll know when to back off and not to say anything else. Because you're not just dropping gospel bomblets and bomblets into people's lives, but you actually know them and have a relationship with them and care about them. You're not proclaiming it because you feel guilty, because you're trying to earn points with God, because it's what you're supposed to do. You're not doing it to affirm your own righteousness, but you're doing it because you care about another person. Uh, secondly, 
we're called to proclaim the gospel, but often that way that works is by little little drips, little bits over time. That it isn't necessarily just backing up the dump truck of truth and, and unloading everything we know about the Bible uh, into somebody's life. If you ever had an injury that you had to recover from that involves stretching, you know that you just don't go and just stretch it out in one mass 30-minute session and then move on with your life and then everything's okay. Now you do it a little bit day by day over time, strengthening and lengthening uh, that muscle. It takes time. It takes faithfulness. Uh, day by day, doing this over and over again. Uh, in the relationships we're in with people, it takes time, it takes faithfulness, it takes relationships day by day, listening to people, knowing people, knowing where they're coming from, and responding appropriately. You know, maybe it's with correction, as we're going to see in a minute, if it's another believer. Uh, maybe it's with encouragement. Uh, maybe it's talking about the, about who God is. Maybe it's talking about the nature of Scripture. Maybe it's talking about what it means to be right with God and how we grow. Maybe it's talking about marriage or children. You'll figure that out if you have the connection, how to appropriately make the proclamation. And as you're doing that, you're praying expectantly, expectantly looking to what God will do. All right, so... Ministry to sick people, which is all of us, uh, involves connection, it involves proclamation, and then it also often involves correction. All right? This is the one we're, we're uncomfortable with, but the whole book of Galatians really is, I mean, it's correction. Paul's correcting the false teaching that the Galatians have encountered, um, and we all need correction from time to time. But it's not, it's not very easy to receive, is it? Um, verse 16, Paul says, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Is that what we are now because I told you the truth? Verse 15, What then became of the blessing you felt? What happened? It's not easy to receive correction. But we need correction. Because we're all constantly being talked to and lied to and seduced by our idols. Uh, we're, we're drifting toward them. You know, I was, I was just thinking the other day, watching television, just the, just the drip, drip, drip of the lies we're told even in the commercials we see. Uh, it's all about me. It's all about sensuality. It's all about uh, looking good, feeling good, whatever, being all you can be for me. Um, and that's just, that's just dripping in our lives. And that tugs at us. And that seduces us. The Galatians are being seduced they're being seduced by these false teachers. Listen to how Eugene Peterson translates verse 17 and 18. These heretical teachers go to great lengths to flatter you, but their motives are rotten. They want to shut you out of the free world of God's grace so that you will always depend on them for approval and direction, making them feel important. And then, this is how he elaborates on it in his book, Traveling Light. The religious byproduct being promoted by the Judaizers. Okay, these are the false teachers. The religious byproduct being promoted by the Judaizers was more self-control, more self-determination. If we engage in particular rituals and keep certain rules, we always know where we stand. 
If we know what we can do that will make us more acceptable in God's eyes than a person who doesn't do them, we, by doing them, can advance our status. And then, now listen to this. Such a religion puts us in control. We no longer have to live by faith, trusting to God to accept us in mercy. What we are being offered is a security system in which we do not have to live by faith, will not have to trust God, but can instead trust ourselves. And Paul says that's what this works salvation is. It's a security system to you. You're being offered a security system in which you don't have to live by faith, you don't have to trust God, but you can instead trust yourselves. Do you see how any system, whether it's uh, irreligious, break the rules, or religious, keep the rules, both of those systems, breaking the rules or keeping the rules, what they're offering you is control. I can be in control. I, I can control my environment, my feelings, um, what happens to me. I can control my eternal destiny even. I can control my experience of life. I can in, in control my happiness. Uh, money says, serve me, and you'll feel good, and everything will go well for you. You'll be in control. But what, what happens when we put money in that position is we're not in control of money. Money's in control of us. Religion says, serve me, do the right thing, you'll be in control, you'll feel good, everything will go well for you. The reality is, both money, uh, or any other you know, false god, and religion are both ways in which we try to control our lives, but in fact they control us. And, and what the false teachers were offering them was a way to control your life, which would in reality control you. And what Paul does then is he points them back to the free grace of the gospel. You can't control God. You can't put God in your debt. He doesn't owe you. You can't make God owe you. But as Paul says in Ephesians, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, Notice, not after we started doing the right thing, but he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You know, what, they, what the gospel tells us is that we tried to wrest control. We tried to take control from God. And it's only brought about slavery in our lives. And yet God, who is rich in mercy... God, because of the great love with which he loved us, not because of anything in us, but because he chose to love us, God gives us freedom in the gospel. He gives us freedom from slavery, freedom from having to be in control, freedom from sin, freedom from our idols, freedom to approach God not as a slave working away to try to get his approval, but as simple children of our Father coming to him through faith in Jesus Christ. We're like the Galatians in a lot of ways. And we're seduced by the other voices. And we start drifting back to our idols. 
And we have to be corrected. And we have to be called back to the gospel. Now, let me ask you this. Is there anybody in your life who can correct you? Is there anybody that can point out the way you're drifting toward idols? Is there anybody that you will listen to without defending yourself? Right? Is there anybody like that? Right? You, you can call me. You can call somebody else in the church who knows you well. You can perhaps ask your spouse. Um, children, ask your parents. Where am I drifting away? Where am I serving idols instead of living in the freedom of the gospel? I want you to speak into my life, and I want to listen to you without defending myself. All right? Correction is, it's never fun, but correction is vital. I asked Susan the other day, does, does anybody on the Amazing Race ever ask for directions from the locals and then just completely ignore them and just do their own thing? She said, no, they, they, they seem to always listen to them. And why do they do that? Well, it'd be foolish not to listen to them because you're from another country and you've been dropped in who knows where. And these people are the locals and they know the lay of the land and they know how to get you where you need to go. Is there anybody in your life that sees the way of the way out? That can kind of step back and look at what's going on with you? Um, who knows you not as you are when you're cleaned up and show up for church on Sunday morning, but who knows you at 5.30 on Thursday afternoon when the day has gone horribly and you're, you're coming home to whatever? Uh, who knows you then? Is there anybody that can see the lay of your land, and, uh, lay of the land in your life? And do you invite them to speak into your life? Not, not defending yourself, but simply inviting them to speak into your life and, and hearing the correction that they offer. Uh, ministry. Connection. Proclamation. And not all the times, but many times, correction. Correction, being corrected. Now, fourth thing here, and this will be quick. Destination. Now, listen to verse 12. Paul says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Now, commentators are kind of split over what exactly Paul means when he says that, but, but I think perhaps he means something along the lines of, Become as I am, not resting in my own righteousness, but resting in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not depending on the law, but depending on Christ. But in any event, in, in verse 19, it becomes very clear what Paul's interested in their lives. Look at verse 19. He says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. I am in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul wants to see for sure whether they know Jesus Christ. Uh, and if they know Jesus Christ, he wants to see them grow more and more into the likeness and image of Jesus Christ. When you are ministering to another person, or let me phrase that in a way, when you're in a relationship with another person, the goal you ought to have for that person is that they be formed into the very likeness 
of Jesus Christ. That Christ be formed in them. Uh, Paul Tripp put it like this. He said, God has a higher goal for our relationships than, than our personal happiness. God has a higher goal for your relationships than your personal happiness. He wants our relationships to be the context for the change He works in and through us. Husbands, your wives don't exist for your personal happiness. Wives, your husbands don't exist for your personal happiness. Children, your parents don't exist for your personal happiness. Parents, your children don't exist for your personal happiness. God has a much bigger, more glorious purpose in mind in the relationships that he's given us with one another. Uh, the relationships we're in are simply there for us to suck the maximum amount of pleasure out of. Uh, the conflicts that we experience aren't opportunities for us to win. They're opportunities for us to see Christ formed in us and Christ formed in the people that we love. Uh, the goal with, with the people in your life ought to be uh, to see Christ formed in them. Christ formed in them. Can you remember that when you're, um, when you're in the middle of a fight with somebody else? That my goal with this person isn't to win the fight, but it's to see Christ formed and then, can you remember that when you're annoyed, when you're tired, when you're angry, when you're discouraged, you're having these difficult conversations, your goal with this other person, and if it's two believers, your goal with each other ought to be to, to see Christ formed in that person. Not simply to come out on top, not simply to gain the most happiness you can get in any given moment. Connection, proclamation, correction, destination. Where are we going with all this? Why are we making the connection? Why are we proclaiming? Why are we correcting? It's all because we want to see Christ formed in other people. And then the last thing, and this is the last point I'm going to make, is providence. Um, why did Paul have the opportunity to preach the Galatians? Verse 13 says it was because of an ailment. Like, it, it, it seems, if, if we're reading this right, that he wasn't really planning on going there, but he had to make a stop there because of some health issue. And yet, because he stopped there, he has the opportunity to minister the gospel to them. God has placed you in the situation he has you in for his reasons. For good reasons. He may be using you to minister to others. He may be using others to minister to you. But he's at work. And we need to remember his providence. When I was doing campus ministry at Appalachian State, at times you get uh, discouraged in ministry. And one of the things I would do to kind of say, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, is to go back and remember how God got me where we were. Uh, to remember how he had worked in our lives and the way he had opened doors to bring us there. A, a couple of different ways he opened doors. One, when we were living in Charlotte and I was in seminary, Susan worked in a bank. Well, it just happens that the president of this bank was an App State alum, and he was a believer, and he wanted to see this ministry that we were going to start be established in Appalachian State. So he made sure he hooked us up with the right person 
so that we could get a loan for very little down payment and and with uh, no mortgage insurance. Now you may say that's why the housing market crashed, but but it really is. <laughs> to us, it was God's providence uh, in our life. Um, the other thing that happened was I was in Greenville working at a church, and there was a discussion: Is there enough money to get App State started? Is there going to be financial support for it? And we were interested in going. And RUF was kind of in transition, and they didn't really have a coordinator at that time. Well. The church I was working in, the guy who was the pastor, became the coordinator. He left the church while I was there. I went there a year. He left the church to become the coordinator of RUF. And the first phone call he had was a two-hour phone call where I was literally down the office, down the hall from him because he hadn't physically left the office yet, where they had to decide whether there was enough money to start App State or not. So I had this personal connection with him, and now this is the first decision he's got to make. And they decided to go for it, and we were there for eight years. And so you have to look back at times at God's providence in bringing you to where you are at a given moment in life. God's put you where you are right now uh, for his purposes. He's given, he, he's put the people in your life that need to be in your life, even though it may be very difficult right now. All right? He's placed you there. He's given you the job you have. He's given you the health troubles you have. He's given you the web of relationships that you have for his reasons, uh, for his purposes. He doesn't make mistakes. He's given you the relationships you have right now. What are you going to do with those relationships? What are you going to do with those people God has placed in your life? Can I just encourage you to start talking to God about the people He's placed in your life? Praying for them. Uh, and asking Him to help you to love them and to serve them and to proclaim the gospel to them, both in word and in deed. Let's pray together. <laughs> God in heaven, we confess that we are sick people and we need to be ministered to. Uh, and yet you have also called us and equipped us to go and to minister to others. Uh, so I pray that you would enable us to do that, that you would give us the courage to do that, that you would make us prayerful, that you would make us bold, that you would make us loving, that you would make us compassionate. Make us willing to, to speak truth, to speak the truth in love. But Father... Help us also to receive truth and receive correction uh, and, and to hear it when we're told how we're drifting away from the gospel. Uh, Father, put people in our life to speak to us and to pull us back uh, and give us ears to listen to them. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.